The following Sunday School session is part of our study of the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, so Jim set us up really, really well last week with the whole background of Exodus 3 and God's uh, giving Moses this name, um, the I Am. I think that, uh, you know, I've been in Christ a little over 40 years now, and I don't remember how long ago it was that I heard about this idea about the I Ams, but I don't think it has been any more than 15 years. And I remember when I first found out about it, I thought, oh my, it's just let your mind dwell on God saying, I am that I am, the verb of be, the perfect tense. It it doesn't mean I I used to be this, I'm going to be that. It's just outside of time, I am. He is the only one who can say that. He is the, the not created one. He's the ever existent one. No one else can truly say I am. We really have to describe ourselves as I, I wasn't, then I became, I am now, and I'm going to be, and that's what will be in the future. We all have a, a point of departure, a starting point. He does not. So the goal of this study is to show us that linkage between what he said about himself in the Old Testament and now what he says to us in the New with the particular uh, emphasis of the vehicle of the phrase I am. In Greek, that's called the ego ami, and we'll get into that a little more. Again, Jim set us up nicely last week. Would somebody read that? Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, God your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That seemed like such a keystone or crowning jewel of the statement of God that you would think that can't be repeated by anybody else. When you see that, that standalone moment where God reveals himself, how could that be of anybody else? And, And remember, Revelation is progressive. There are plural names of God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, but it's not clear as that's happening what that all really means and you can't blame the people of the past for not fully understanding God is revealing in the order that he chooses to reveal it Mm. when we come to the New Testament the New Testament is all in on the deity of Christ now you think about that and you think about the Jewish people saying they are monotheistic that means they believe in one God and along comes Jesus And he starts claiming to be God as well. Now, he's not denying that the Father is God, but he's saying he is co-equal with God the Father. And the New Testament is just replete with that. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So that was given about 600 years, that prophecy was given about 600 years before Jesus came. And now, Matthew, the, the gospel writer to the Jewish people, very specifically, 
says this applies to Jesus. This one born of Mary is that one that was prophesied. And when it was prophesied, it said, God is with us. The next one, in God, in John's preamble uh, to his own gospel, he says in one one, in the beginning, the word already existed, the word was with God, and the word was God. He's He is going jugular for the connection between the old and the new. I mean, that just, it, it rings of Genesis. William, can I make a comment? Yeah, on, please. On one, one for a yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so the word was with God and the word was God. In the original language, the definite article is with the word for God when it says the word was with God. And so it would be, the word was the God, was with the God, meaning God the Father. But when John says in the in the next statement, and the word was God, he leaves the definite article off of that, which means he's deity. Amen. So if he had put the definite article on that clause, he would have been confounding the persons. Mm. It would have been a complete contradiction. He would have been saying he was with the Father and he is the Father. But that John's very careful. The theology is in a definite article there. Yeah. He's distinguishing. He's, he's saying distinguishing from the Father. He's not the God, the, meaning the Father. But he does share the divine nature. He is God as well. Yeah. That John, uh, John 1, 1 passage is the bane of a lot of uh, the cult's existence. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses altered that one because they didn't like what it said and made up some Greek tense that does not exist to, to do that. Modalist would take what Jesus <coughs> said and say, well, they'd want to insert words in there to say, see, God acts like this at one moment, then he acts like this. He's changing modes. That's not what's being said here. Saying God the Father and God the Son were together in the beginning. This one, uh, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was I am, which, which that passage will be the last one we do in this series. But they knew exactly what he meant. They picked up stones and they said, you're a heretic. You're claiming to be God. And they wanted to stone him. And he walked right through them. And they were like, where do we go? Which translation did, is that? Is your John 8.58? That is uh, NLT. And you notice they don't capitalize I am? That might have been me. No. <laughs> not, King James doesn't. There's only one translation, NLT, that capitalizes that I am. That's probably me not capitalizing it on accident, Jim, because I was copying and pasting. So if NLT... Uh, was that one that then it should have been that way? I apologize for that. No, no, no worries. But I just thought it very interesting that none of the translations sought to capitalize that except uh, except a new one. Huh. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We have these other ones, too, that, that are coming at this from a different angle. If you go to Philippians 2 and you get into that, that, ne that second um, chapter in there, Paul is giving Jesus as an example of humility for us to follow. He basically says, humble yourself and be like Jesus, who humbled himself. And it says, though he was God, this is the NLT, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
meaning he didn't have to keep all the accoutrements and the honor and the glory that he deserved. He laid that aside. He didn't lay his godhood aside. He never left his godhood out, never. He just didn't always have the glory exposed and the, and the worship that was due him coming to him at all times. Uh, Paul's explanation of Jesus' rule and centrality in all things, Colossians 1, 15-17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Now this is Paul, and remembering the thought that Revelation is progressive, Jesus dropped the bomb on these people when he walked and he talked. And they were trying to rectify what he was saying with what they knew from the Old Testament, and they struggled. The disciples struggled the bulk of the time while he was present with them. It was only after he rose from the dead that they really it all started to click for them. But remember, none of them were really um, students of the law. They weren't steeped in it. Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So it makes a lot of sense that the Holy Spirit would utilize a man who has that kind of connectivity of the whole of Scripture to spell this out. And remember, he's, he's talking a lot to Gentiles that don't have... Old Testament background. So he's, he's being really explicit with them. But he basically said, Jesus, God, created everything for his own good pleasure, for himself. He existed before everything. And when we look at Christ, we see God in flesh. I mean, just staggering stuff. And then uh, two more. The declaration of his place above time. Yeah, uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ in the same yesterday, today, forever. Uh, Revelations one eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, in the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Notice there the the way they're speaking about the the I am by fleshing it out with the fuller words. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he claims to be the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And look at what's tacked on at the end of there. He's speaking to John. He says, um, Who's, uh, who always was, who is still to come, the Almighty One. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, up from there. Says the Lord God. Jesus speaking to John. So it's clear in the New Testament and I could have gone on and on and on. We, we all probably have favorites or we see it. And I think as you grow in grace and you read the Bible, it, it hits you as you're, you're walking through and you're going, oh, Jesus said that. That means he's God. And I think that's one of those wonderful, I don't know what lack of, of phrase to, to call it, an Easter egg. That's what they say in software where they hide stuff in, <laughs> in games and stuff. It's one of those wonderful things that just pops up and you, you hit them in your Christian life and you're going, Oh, I see it more and more. There are a bunch of titles, attributes, and actions 
that the Old Testament ascribes to God alone. He's the only God. They're now applied to Jesus in the New Testament. There's a list of them. Um, Creator, Savior, raises the dead, judge, light, I am, shepherd, glory of God, first and last, redeemer, bridegroom, rock, forgiver of sins, worshiped by angels, addressed in prayer, creator of angels, uh, confessed as Lord. And on each side, I, I don't remember where I got this, they give scriptures, and I think you could give more for each of these where they match up. And I'm just going to show you a couple of examples of them. So uh, Isaiah 40 says, have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is, is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or, or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And if you look at what John said, which we, we talked about earlier, God created everything through him and nothing was created except uh, by him and through him. That was in the, uh, in the preamble. I'll give you one more here. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying... You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And then everybody remembers the story of the, the lame man being lowered through the roof. And Ed talked about that just last week. The conversation that happened when he goes to heal the man was staggering. Uh, he says, what, what is he saying? The, these are the Pharisees. This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Because remember, Jesus said to the man, the lame man, your sins are forgiven. And they're, they're in earshot, or maybe they're thinking this. I don't remember. It, it, well, actually, they, they were thinking it. Because it says right here, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. There's one of those God, God things right there. Jesus knows the thoughts of men. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say that to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. God said he forgives sins in the Old Testament. Jesus says he forgives sins. He must be God. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man said, stand up, pick up your mat. The proof is in the pudding. The guy got up and walked away. Jesus can forgive sins. Now, in that list, it's it's interesting to note that John is heavily utilized in there. He seems to have a propensity for talking about the deity of Christ. And I'll get to that in just a second. We're going to be focusing on the I am's in that list, and we'll start into them now. All right. So I got a, a, a broad statement that I'm making here, and it's not William's statement. I'll get to that in a second. The goal of John's gospel seems to be to help Jews and proselytes in Israel see Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Sometimes you hear about the different gospels and how they each have a different flavor. We talked about it a little bit when we were in the um, Sermon on the Mount and how Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. But all the other apostles, all the other gospel writers call it the kingdom of God. That's Matthew showing deference to the Jewish people and not saying the name God. He is very explicitly going after the Jewish people, Matthew is. Um, we could get into a whole discussion about the others. John, there's, there's a lot of discussion about John. Um, I read a, a big, long piece uh, by D.A. Carson about the history of 
what people think about the Gospel of John. There were all these different things that people were saying. One was that he was exposed to at least one, maybe more, of the other written Gospels, and therefore he felt he didn't have to focus on the things that they did. Um, he, he might have even been correcting some of the things that they said, and I, I didn't buy that one at all. Uh, there were a couple different views of this, but, but basically um, D.A. Carson said that it, it appears from the way that he uses the, the literature of the Old Testament and doesn't explain it, that he's speaking to an audience that knew it. So he assumes that they understand the Word of God, the Old, old Covenant. He doesn't stop and explain it like he would have to to Gentiles. He just throws these things in one by one by one. When he's talking about, um, uh, I am the light of the world, he talks about a um, celebration that they were doing that included lights. Now, the Jews would understand that, but a Gentile would not, and he gives no explanation of it. But it's correlated throughout. And as the guys get up and and do these different uh, passages, you'll see more and more of that. Um, some some things to note that uh, about him assuming that his audience knows stuff. Just think about that preamble that we read a few minutes ago in in uh, John one one. It just hearkens to it's like it, it reeks of Genesis one one. When you compare the two, it's like you know where John got his uh, his inspiration for what he wanted to say. At the beginning of the world was this. Now at the beginning of the new covenant, the fulfillment of God's promises. This is what happened when the word came. He does it again when he talks about them as recipients of seeing the glory of God. It sounds a lot like that whole thing where God said, i got to hide you in the cleft of the rock because you're not going to be able to see my glory. You'll die. And yet he says here in uh, John 1, 14 14 and 18, I guess. I must have got my numbers wrong. So the word became human and made his home among us. Uh, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, Father's one and only Son. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed us to God. He re- revealed God to us. So remember, in the old, there was a barrier. The sin of man had to be uh, had to keep man away from God. If he saw the glory of God, he'd perish. But with the coming of the Messiah and what he's about to do, he's making a way for people to be safe in the presence of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Huge distinction, but hearkening to the same thing. So John goes on in his gospel and he uses this phrase, ego ami. There's a big debate about this. So if you looked up the, the I am's of Jesus, the first thing you're going to find is a list of seven of them. And that's the, 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 like the common way to think of them. They're all the I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and life. There's seven of those, right? And we'll see that in a minute. But if you look up what are all of the I am statements that Jesus made, you get um, a real interesting mix. Uh, John MacArthur said there's 23. Um, somebody else said there were 24. Uh, someone said there were 28. And, and you'll see the issue in a minute, but um, this, this phraseology that designates this, ego I me, in the Greek, ego means I, and then a me means I exist or I am. 
So if you wanted to say, I am, I am um, your leader, you don't need to say, ego, I am. You could just say, I am your leader. You see what I'm saying? Eugene walked me through this, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it right, so I'm, I'm used to using him as my, my Greek knowledge guy. But when you put the two together, it's like saying, I, I am, or I, I exist. It's emphasizing the I, the front part. And it's, it's hearkening back to what Jim talked to us about the last time. I am that I am. Those two things are going together when you put these two together. Now, they come together in a couple places where it's not talking about the deity of Christ. And that's where it gets a little dicey. But when you put them together and you're putting the attributes of God in there and he's doing something that God does, you're claiming that he's the great I am. So... Cut me some slack when you see the ones that I have here. I'm, I'm going to give a full-on nod to the seven, but I'm going to tell you about why I think there's there's more. And Jim asked me before, why haven't I put a schedule on? I've been telling Judy I've been struggling with this because slicing and dicing these is, is a little difficult. Helping me out on this was Johnny Mac. Um, John MacArthur, when he was commenting on uh, John 4.26, which is the one I'll, I'll end with today, He's talking about where they were in the conversation. He's talking to the woman on the well. No sooner had she breached the subject of the broached yep. the subject of the Messiah, than Jesus declared, "I am I who speak to you, am He." John four twenty six. This is the single most direct and explicit messianic, messianic <laughs> claim Jesus ever made. Never before in any of the biblical record had he said this to so, so, forth so forthrightly to anyone. Never again is it recorded that he declared himself thus plainly until the night of his betrayal. So John MacArthur called attention to this being a moment in time when um, Jesus just opens it up and says, I am the Messiah. Up until this point, he was kind of cagey about it, and we've talked through this as we've gone through the different Gospels. There's a timetable of things that, that God has in plan, and it explains why Jesus sometimes says, don't tell everybody about what I've done here. Just go show yourself to the priest, get yourself washed, and what do they all do? They, they run around and talk. But and when he was asked by his mother to fix the, the wedding wine issue, he says, woman, it's not my time yet. Right? So there's a pace that God has, and he doesn't want that to get disrupted. And so um, <clears throat> here he is in the middle of Samaria, a place of half-breeds, half-Jews, half, I can't remember what the other na nationality was. They, they only believed in the first five books of the Torah, and they had a well there that was Jacob's well, and that's where he was with her. And he comes right out and says, I'm the Messiah. Now, he's, in a sense, when he's doing this, he's claiming the same I am. And this is MacArthur again commenting about this. And, and he lists the seven. Now, I, I have a, a reference that I use a lot. And it's a, it's a website that's actually manned by a person, a fella in Texas. And the website is called Precept Austin. And what he does is he takes the scripture and he brings together the Greek and commentators 
throughout the ages, as many as he can get his hands on that are fair game and don't have copyright on them, and he puts them there. But sometimes he'll lead in with uh, a sentence before he gives the other uh, people, and I felt, I felt like what he said was, was pretty powerful. It was the way I felt about it as I read this in John uh, 4.26. He said, note that Jesus literally says, I who speak to you am. The translations add the pronoun he, but is not present in the original Greek. In other words, Jesus is making one of the great I am statements, just as he did in John, that says 8.58, when he declared before Abraham was I am. <laughs> when I read that, I felt the same thing, because what I like to do in my study is I'll, I'll read it in a bunch of different versions, and then they have a, a website that shows Greek, Greek interlinear, and I look at that, and then I, I compare the two, and I say, okay, where did the interpreters play around here? What did they add? Now, I'm sorry for using the word play around. That, that's not appropriate. But they're making decisions as they interpret. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's text that's added in our in, in the versions that we use. And sometimes they'll italicize it because it's added overtly. They overtly say, i got to add this. Sometimes they don't italicize it because they feel it's implied in the verb. And so therefore they write it. And in this case, that's one of those. They didn't italicize that part where he says, I am he. Uh, And the word Messiah doesn't appear in that text at all. What they're doing is they're saying, she just said when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And therefore, he says, the one who's talking to you, I am. And they said, I am the Messiah. Or I am he, referring back to the Messiah. They're legitimate interpretations, but the, the... Frank matter of it is this is the first time in John's gospel where he says the I am with nothing added to it. And Precept Austin and MacArthur both felt that that qualifies this to be one of the I ams. Now, I want to be fair, and one of my favorite uh, people is D.A. Carson. And on this passage, the John 4, uh, 26 one, he didn't feel it was necessary to make it one of the I ams. He said that there are cases where you could have said ego I am, ego a me and not be referring back to the the, uh, Genesis, no, the Exodus 33 passage. I I felt, uh, when I read this one, and I know I said felt, I felt that the connection between what she was saying about the Messiah coming and what he was about to do in revealing himself to her by saying, yeah, the husband you have isn't really your husband, you've had five, Um, go, go get the guy. I mean, he's reading her mind, he's knowing her history, he's about to show the attribute of God's omniscience to her. So I feel like whenever I see this ego I me paired together with a a revelation of the power of God and attribute of God, I think it's fair game to say that's what's going on here, especially when the language in the Greek did not have a modifier. Is that how she understood it? Because verse 29 says... Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So she understood it as uh, he was answering her question about him being the Messiah. Yeah. William, you're saying that the Septuagint doesn't add the modifier. It does not. Because the originals were probably Aramaic, and and so it got into Greek. But you would have thought if he was going to answer and say, I am the Messiah, he could have said Messiah. There, there is a word for that, and it's missing from this. The, the interpreters say they look back to the sentence right before where she talks about the Messiah. Yeah. 
and say he is answering that, so therefore they can add Messiah into the text. But he speaks that way a lot. I mean, when, he does. When, when uh, Pilate confronts him, he says, you say, thus say. You know, he doesn't finish the sentence. <coughs> he, 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 you know what he's saying, but he doesn't use the, wor- the rest of the words. He doesn't have to. If John didn't have a propensity for using this ego and me all over the place, I probably wouldn't have taken the stance I do on this. <laughs> Um, he's not completely unique in using this phrase. Mark uses it a couple of times. Some of the instances of the I am of the seven are referred to in the other Gospels, but nobody uses this phrase as often as John does. Yeah. So my point was, with a pattern like that of John using that phrase, I'm going to say, in my mind, if it's coupled together with him displaying an attribute of God and there is no modifier there, I'm going to say, I think that falls into the category of the I am statements. So I'm just giving you... Remember last week we talked about this, that Ami is not the same as the Hebrew being verb. I am, you know. It's not... The the Ami is is basically like our I am, or more like our I am, than the the Hebrew, which is far beyond uh, mere existence. It's, it's eternal existence and, and much more. Yeah. I think when you pair the ego and the me together is the place where it makes you stand up and take notice. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the exact phrasing in John eight fifty eight, mm-hmm. and all the seven, right? And there's a couple more. There's other places where ego and me are split. But there's also a place uh, where the ego and me shows up when the, um, the man who was born blind, who was healed, and he's brought before the the um, Pharisees and some people say I don't know if it's him, he just looks like him and he says, ego I am I'm the guy so he says that and he doesn't mean I'm God yeah, yeah. Right. so I'm trying to be honest with you and say, sure. this is the position I've staked out disagree me, with me if, if you want all of these things are glorious nonetheless um, but that's my approach as we go forward into this alright, so there are 25 statements We are not going to read them all today. But there they are listed. And when you look at them, um, some of them, I've I've italicized the words that were added and they're black, uh, so you know. um, But some of them are in the seven, right? So there's the seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the first one's the bread of life. The next one's the light of the world. The next one's the sheep gate. The next one is the good shepherd. The next one is the resurrection and the life, followed by I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one is I am the vine. So those are the, the seven that historically everybody says are the ones. Now sometimes they come in groups, right? So you can see that there's a discussion in John 6 where the phrase is used over and over again. It's recorded for us by the Holy Spirit, and numerically, this would add up to 25, but if you group the ones that are in groups, you could probably reduce the number and say, you know, in this discussion, he's talking about the bread of life. But John repeated the phrase in his uh, recording of these things multiple times. That's, and, and you see, I, I grouped those in this green box, so you can see that where there were ones that go together in different statements. So how many are there if you group those as... Okay, so one, two, three, <laughs> you know, four. And something jumps out at you when you look at this list. 
only 426 and 858, I am is the main statement in the sentence. In all of the others, the I am is only uh, given to, it's the light of the world, the bread of life. Those are the main statements of those sentences, not the I am. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. 426 and 858, I am is the main yeah. thrust of the sentence. Yeah. So those are clearly different than the others. Each one could take a lot of study. To answer your question, Judy, I counted 16 if you kind of group the ones that were in, in bunches. So you could go 25 to 16, your call. Um, when each of the guys get assigned, like I'll assign the bread of life and that person will get that whole conversation. So they'll be treated as one. So as we go through and that's how we'll get them, right? Now, um, notice, oops, two things. Uh, there are these ones that have these statements um, like if you go to the the John eight passage, um, okay, in the John eight conversation. Oh man, did I not do a line under that one? Um, I should have done a yellow line under the last one before Abraham was I am. But listen to this one in John twenty uh, John eight twenty four. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, and then oh. the, they added who I claim to be, and that's not in the text. You will die in your sins. And there's some really powerful things there. And there's another one. You know, and, and when you're in that John 8 one in particular, it's a long discourse, and you can see Jesus building and building his argument. And he's getting more and more to the point as he gets towards the end and says, You're of your father, the devil. And then he's just like, No holds bar after that. And he gets to 58. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones. They know what's yeah. going on. They are mad. They're mad as hornets. So there's there's a progression of his... Um, I'll give you the slides. One. Yeah, I just want to be able to kind of like blow it out and, and, and read. Oh, and like going oh I see. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean for us to read all of them because I'd be stealing everybody's thunder and the ones we're going to go through. <laughs> but um, I'm not going to include all of these. There's some that I... I think belong, but others that I'm really not too sure. Um, so uh, that's where I am, Jim, with trying to think of the schedule. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Judy, there's 16. I'm not sure all 16 are going to make it in this study, so I, I would love some help from yeah, Even in, the Mark, in Mark that we've been going through, he's in the synagogue, he's reading from Isaiah, he tells them, I'm that guy that's yeah. in Isaiah you're yeah. hearing about. And Today they take him out and try to throw him off the cliff. Right. So he has made a clear statement even there in the early part of yeah. Mark. That, he didn't know. say I am there, so it didn't get in this no, list. No, <laughs> but he's, he, 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 you're right. he told him right. enough to get him <laughs> thrown off the cliff. I, I feel like as you grow in grace and you learn the whole of Scripture, that all of a sudden the pieces really come together, and I feel so bad for churches that ignore the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't understand this. It's, it is all of God's truth, and it's a progression, and you need to know it. I did, um, you know, a number of times over my life, you know, the read through the Bible kind of thing, and I can do that, but I mean, most people fall off in, in Leviticus or Deuteronomy and say, oh, I'll try again next year. But um, it is good to read all that through. But I think one of the greatest things that happened was uh, Earl Blackburn preached a topical overview of the Old Testament. One book every Sunday night. Sometimes he did two when they were longer. 
And it just went all the way through and saying that that was one of those beneficial things, foundational things that I can think of in my life because how would I have known some of these things? And as we see the guys bring this out, like the Good Shepherd, that is a direct reference to God claiming to be the shepherd in one of the prophets. Yeah. The, the nuggets are there, but if you don't go back there, you don't understand what's being said. All right, so to finish out today, and it'll be fairly quick, Jesus is at the well. He's, he's uh, gotten there uh, by circuitous routes. He could have gone the normal route and gone around Samaria, which most Jews like to do, but he cut across uh, Samaria because he had an appointment with this woman. So, um, Judy, you want to read that first piece there? Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. All right, so Jesus sees this woman and says, Give me some water. It's a hot day, and she's got uh, pitchers, and she's pulling water out of the well. And Joanne, you want to read that next one? The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, I remember one time, um, uh, it taught me a a lesson. Um, I think I was talking about John 3 and the the water and washing and Ed was at one of the Wednesday night things we were doing and he said oh he's referring forward to chapter 7 about um, uh, about the living water and that that's the Holy Spirit and I hadn't read ahead and it's a stupid mistake to stay with what you have and just say up to this point that's all I know but I have the whole thing. I should go forward and see what else is there. And he was talking about the living water, the Holy Spirit. And I would say he's probably referring to that again here. He would give her life. Life eternal. All right, the next one. Um, Phil, you want to read this? But, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides... <laughs> Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he? His sons and animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will be soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. <laughs> then I will never be thirsty again and won't have to come here get water. <laughs> I, I think um, there's a couple of sides here that are really important to note. Notice as she goes from, you're a Jew in verse 9, to now he, she calls him sir. There's a little more respect because he said something that shows that he's a godly man. Um, she says, how you can get this water that you're promising me? You don't even have anything to draw with or a pitcher. And, and he's telling her, I'm not talking about physical water here. Yeah woman, I'm talking about living water that will make you alive, and you won't be thirsty again. Now, we all hunger and thirst for righteousness, so don't don't think he's saying we will never be thirsty for anything. He is he has quenched our need for um, redemption with God in Christ. We don't have to go try to work our way into that. That that is not something we're not hungry 
for redemption or thirsty for redemption, we are already redeemed in Christ. We will hunger and thirst for righteousness until we finally get into the kingdom of God in glory and are face to face with him. Then we'll have our full drink forever of it. Right now, we're like adding it up, adding it up, adding more and more and more, gaining more and more of that. The book of John is so great at showing when Jesus is talking about spiritual things and people do the stupid thing and get literal. I mean, he's clearly told her, um, it's going to spring up inside of you, this eternal life. And then she turns around and says, hey, can I have some of that so I don't have to come to this well next week? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, same thing with Nicodemus. Um, do I have to climb up in my mother's womb and be born again? I mean, really, people? Okay, Eric, read this next one. Yeah. Go to get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So now she's gone from... You're a Jew, sir, and now you must be a prophet. So it's escalating her her value of who he is. She's still not completely getting it. So she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. And that's true. They had purposely isolated themselves to the first five books of the Bible, and they were um, eclectic with other kinds of religions, too, that they mixed in there. Well, we the Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now, it doesn't say salvation is the Jews. It says it comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed. It's, It's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So he's getting more and more elaborate in what he's talking about here. She's got a faulty way of worship. He addresses it. And he doesn't mock her for it, but he says, you are short-sighted because you've, you've chosen not to hear the whole thing. And the Messiah will come through the Jews. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. So that's interesting. So you could, from the first five books of the Bible, know that there is a Messiah coming. That's important to know. The one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am, and then the NLT says, the Messiah. But the Messiah is added in there. He says, I am. Now, he's just exhibited attributes of God. He told her things that he couldn't have possibly known. This is the first time he's ever met her. He didn't have guards or or people go ahead as private investigators and say, there's going to be a woman at the well. Find out everything you can about it. He's not a charlatan. Just think for a moment. Jesus walking around talking to people. He knows everything about every person that he meets. Who could know that? We all worry about databases that the government is collecting on us. I I know people who don't want to do that that DNA sampling thing uh, because they're afraid the government will use that to kind of cull us and, and, and grab us. Jesus has all knowledge 
of all people in all situations. And she's like, holy, what? What just happened? Now she's convinced he's the Messiah. Did she understand that he's the I am? It doesn't say that she does. But this is the first time that it comes out in the book of John. So with that, your homework, because we're going to be off uh, next week because of Thanksgiving, but on the, the following one, one of the guys will get up and do one of the next ones. Go through the book of John and find all of them that you can. I can send my notes out if you want. Um, but I think it's a good scavenger hunt kind of thing for you to go find them. All right? Can I interject Yeah, go for it, Ed. Williams? So mm-hmm. one in letting work here last week to hear Jim's presentation. Mm-hmm. And I want to just go back and underscore something. That phrase, ego a me, those two words, are the translation of Exodus 3.14. So there was that translation. You've heard me talk about this in sermons, the Septuagint. This was the great translation of the Hebrew Old Testament made two centuries before Jesus. This is the translation that was often quoted by Jesus. He quoted from the Septuagint, not the Hebrew. And they translated, I am that I am, the the English translations, we know it, the Hebrew phrase, by that Greek phrase, ego a me, ha on, actually, is the whole phrase. I am the being, is what it is literally, but ego a me. So when Jesus uses that over and over again, it connects it to that translation. He lifted a translation of a fam- that was familiar to the Jewish people, the Septuagint. This is what he's quoting from. So they knew, they understood what he was claiming. He was linking himself to the God of of the burning bush Amen. that spoke to Moses. That's, that's the significance of it. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.